the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, after another crazy weekend in J1, where with only one exception, goals were raining in here, there, and everywhere. We're welcoming back uh, another guest uh, after a lengthy absence on this pod. But uh, before we do, there's really nowhere else we can start than uh, he touched it on Saturday night. No, there isn't. It was an incredible Saturday just in general with goals flying everywhere. But yeah, Kashua versus Sapporo, the ultimate can't defend, won't defend game. And uh, yeah, it just produced one of the uh, J-League classic. Yeah, and I guess at the end of the day, I kind of undersold it at the end of last week's episode. I thought about going big with a score prediction, but uh, I held fire. But uh, I guess like a broken clock being right to twice a day, Sam, every now and then I get a, a pick of the weekend right. And, uh, well, this one came in in spades. It uh, finished 5-4 to the visitors, Consadole Sapporo uh, away at uh, it as I said, against Kashima Raisol. And, uh, well, the goal fest began with a lovely finish from Takuma Arano to put uh, Sapporo ahead for the first time of the evening uh, in uh, just the 10th minute. Yeah, it was a weird one, I suppose, because it kind of goes in, doesn't go in near the corner, and Matsumoto just doesn't get anywhere near it. So I think the players in front of him maybe uh, meant he misjudged that, but it was the start of, a, I thought, a pretty poor game from him, and he'd been very, very good since coming into that race all team. So, yeah, if he was having an off day, it kind of set the tone. But, yeah, Sapporo started really well. I thought the movement, as usual, is very good. Lucas out on the left-hand side with Suga behind him as one of the three uh, wide centre-backs. It just gave them so many attacking options. And, yeah, to score so early, last week you were saying it could end it up all goals going to Sapporo or could be a crazy game. And at this stage, you were thinking, you were fearing, really, for Kasher that it could be get blown away. Yes, but they were only behind uh, for this the first time for just five minutes when uh, Sachiro Toshima volleyed uh, racial level from a tight angle uh, in the 15th minute. But uh, Yoshiaki Komai, who set up Arano for the opener, uh, then scored himself just three minutes later. So, I mean, the tone was set for the rest of the evening, wasn't it? A 2-1 to Sapporo by the 18th minute. And, I mean, the, the, the goals, I mean, they just continued to fly in and... It, was this just a case of defending being optional for uh, for both for both clubs on this uh, on this mad Saturday night? Well, it's definitely support is always optional, and very rarely do they accept that option. But uh, Raisol, they I think they tried to defend, they just weren't very good at it. I think the movement from Sapporo really just was too much for them. They couldn't get to grips with them. But I mean, that, the second goal for Sapporo that you mentioned there, the Komai one, it's such a good ball in from Fernandez, and the control from Komai away from his defender, it is really good and a low finish. There was very little they could do about it, to be fair. But yeah, as the half went on, it was just. Yeah, Raisal struggled uh, really to get a grips with anyone. And Sapporo decided, yeah, we're going to still throw players forward. It doesn't matter how many were in front. We're just going to keep attacking. And they uh, left the back door open on a number of occasions for Kashua. Yeah, and I guess uh, at the end of the day, um, not to play spoiler here, but uh, probably the most surprising thing of uh, to come out of this game is that uh, there were nine goals scored. And uh, Yuya Asano, who has been basically in the form of his life uh, was not able 
to get on the score sheet here. But uh, he did go close and uh, played a major role in Sapporo going 3-1 up just past the half hour when his shot was parried into the night sky by uh, Kenta Matsumoto in the race hole goal. And uh, Tsuyoshi Ogashiwa scampered in to score on the slide from a yard out. So, um, yeah, I don't know if in J-League Fantasy, does Asano get the assist for that, Sam? Uh, hopefully for you, he did. But, um, yeah, he was obviously still heavily involved in in a lot of what Sapporo did going forward, but wasn't able to score himself. But uh, no surprise to see Ogashiwa net again. As uh, Yeah, he's scoring all types of goals these days, and he was an opportunist here as, uh, as Sapporo went 3-1 up. Yeah, he's been so good for them. They've had... Uh, issues with him and his fitness for a long while but he's had this good run of form and no longer they have to stick with that like kind of lump up front or that big target man necessarily he comes in and drifts deep it's so difficult for anyone to really get to grips with him and this goal was all about his desire compared to the race old defenders because he's played the one two with Asano on the edge of the area and he's the only one that sprints into and uh, look for that rebound, and Jay got his rewards. Poor goalkeeper, I think he has to push that away rather than just up in the air. But yeah, a lovely effort from Asano. Great desire from Ogashiwa, and yeah, yeah, he didn't get on the score seat, Asano. But again, heavily involved. That that three of Ogashiwa, uh, Asano, and Kanako is just they're just so good. And then when you add Komai in and Fernandez, I mean, it's very difficult for any type side to really get to grips with them. Yeah, it's a champagne stuff at the times from Sapporo. But as we've said, defending is optional, and that includes uh, leaving players back uh, when they have a corner. As the uh, just three minutes after they were three-one up, Sapporo, the uh, the final goal of a simply mental first half was scored, and it was scored by Kashiwa with uh, Sapporo trying to ping shots in uh, after they'd uh, taken a corner. The ball was basically deflected forward. Tomoya Koyamatsu was able to nod it ahead of the pack and basically from 15 yards inside his own half, he raced clear through the centre before dinking a lovely finish from 20 yards over Takanori Sugano. So, uh, I mean, this was, uh, I guess, well, yeah, Sapporo in a nutshell. There were three or four shots from them in the one passage of play, but as I said, they didn't leave anybody back from their own corner and, uh, well, uh, eventually... Koyamatsu was the grateful recipient. He obviously had so much to do after he raced onto the ball in the first place. But, uh, yeah, a beautiful control and then a, a lovely finish from uh, from a decent amount of distance after he'd seen uh, Sugano racing out towards him. Yeah, he does really well. Great composure and he has to go a long, long way. And, yeah, really good from him. But, I mean, this goal just kind of sums up uh, why Sapporo are probably the neutrals' favourite team and why many Sapporo supporters will pull their hair out uh, looking at their side every week because I can't imagine any other team in world football, 3-1 up away from home with 30 minutes played, and to have nobody within 70 yards of their own goal is just <laughs> yeah. absolutely ridiculous. They, I mean, does, can you not just leave one back, I suppose, just to really sort it out? But no, they leave Koimatsu a full run through. And yeah, he did very well. But yeah, great stuff. 3-2 at half time. It was just, yeah, unbelievable. There was no danger that that was the end of the scoring. Well, yeah, and I mean, it was the final goal of the first half, but it was still with about uh, 10, 11 minutes to go. And I mean, there was still four or five clear-cut chances for for Sapporo in the meantime before the break. And, I mean, Matsumoto was obviously kept very, very busy as uh, wave after wave 
of uh, black and red attack. Uh, yeah, basically just bore down on him uh, relentlessly, but he, he did make it into the sheds uh, with his side, uh, just one goal uh, to uh, one goal in arrears. And then uh, eight minutes after the break, uh, somehow Ray Sol were level after uh, Eiichi Katayama won the ball back uh, just inside the Sapporo half and set up Mal Hosoya for a neat finish for 3-3. And, um, well, yeah, I mean, this was just a case of the second half saying, hold my beer to the first half, I think, wasn't it, Sam? Because as we're going to come on to, the uh, the, the climax of this game was uh, frankly remarkable and uh, just um, sealed the deal, I think, that this will go down as an all-time J-League classic. Yeah, absolutely will do. And this was this was one of the YouTube games that was shown across the world, and you can tell the commentator on it. I don't know how many J-League games he's done before, but I think he'll want to watch every one from now on because he was absolutely loving it at this this stage. And, uh, yeah, it was the perfect goal that the game needed as well for Raysol to get level. Really good from Katayama, the good closing down, and Sapporo obviously were very open at that point. Osoya does a lovely little run, gets some space, and his touch and finish was very, very good because I think he's just about coming into his own now uh, had a very fairly tough start to the season not reached the heights of last year but this was really good movement and a good finish and yeah it set up the second half to be yeah absolutely phenomenal yeah, and then our man, uh, Takoro Kaneko, who you've already mentioned, of course, has been uh, so influential recently and, uh, yes, a, a pillar of light for uh, both of our fantasy teams. Uh, he put Sapporo back in front with the 20 minutes left when he let fly from 20 yards. And, I don't know, did it take a deflection off a, a, a one of his uh, fellow players? Sam, on its way through, it kind of looked like it. I mean, Kaneko was uh, straight away trying to claim the goal, I think, so... Um, whether or not it did, in fact, flick off one of his teammates or not. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, well, the J-League's definitely awarded Kaneko the goal, and so has uh, the the Google machine, so I'll take both of their words for it. But it did um, might maybe just put so much uh, swaz on it that uh, it looked like it uh, kind of moved in the air a bit as it went past one of his teammates. But uh, obviously, for the fantasy points, we'll take it. Oh, absolutely. I'm not going to argue with you. If I, if I was just to be nailed down to put an answer to this, I think it hits Okamura. And I think he celebrates, like, as he goes past him, he celebrates as if he scored the goal and then just kind of gets dragged into the celebration with Kaneko because that's where everybody else has gone. So mm. I I think it's touched Okamura, but, yeah, he doesn't want to claim it or he's not overly bothered about it. And perhaps he's got Kaneko in his fantasy team as well. Yes, yes, and uh, well, maybe Kaneko's goal bonus is a little bit more, uh, yes, a little larger, and maybe Kaneko's uh, given him a wink and promised him a, a little cut of it. I don't know, but uh, anyway, yes, uh, Kaneko made it four three, as we said, uh, with uh, twenty minutes to go, and uh, well, again, the, don't worry, listeners, the, the chances were still raining in at both ends, but uh, we'll uh, basically jump. To the end, as uh, our guest is waiting in the green room for us, um, the, the 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 climax was well fitting for what had come in the uh, in the 90 minutes before it. Sam, in the 91st minute, a, a race all corner, of course, reminding you, listeners, they were four three down at this stage, was uh, flicked on superbly by Kota Yamada at the near post, and uh, his fellow sub Yuki Muto blasted into the roof of the net from a yard out to, well, seemingly, surely, secure a precious point for Kashiwa. But as we'll come on to next, Sam, that wasn't to be the case. Uh, no, it wasn't. This was absolutely rubbish defending, just unmarked at the front post, unmarked at the back post. 
and yeah, well, they'll take it, race on. Well, they did that for a brief moment. It looked like they'd uh, secured a point. It would have been harsh on Sapporo not to have won the game because they battered them for most of the game. I mean, any shot count you look at has probably Sapporo probably double ahead of uh, uh, race all in this game but yeah it was a it looked like a remarkable moment and a remarkable equaliser for them but yeah this game wasn't over no and to no one's surprise uh, Sapporo kept on coming and again on an evening where defending was optional somehow I think Sapporo ended up with a five on three in the uh, the race hole box and uh, Hiroki Miyazawa headed down for Shunta Tanaka and um yeah, Tanaka stroked home, having found a, a, a little bit of space in the box. The linesman's flag went straight up, and uh, obviously Sapporo's uh, celebrations were halted. But then on uh, on review, VAR noticed that uh, I think it was a player on the uh, – well, yeah, I'm not going to explain this very well. But, yeah, I, I think a Resol defender across the other side of the box was playing Miyazawa on when uh, the ball – uh, was uh, knocked in his direction before he nodded it down for Tanaka. So ultimately, uh, the right decision, Sam, and uh, Shunta Tanaka celebrated a 93rd-minute winner. That was, yes, I guess the fitting end for, uh, as we've already said, uh, a J-League Classic 5-4 to the visitors it finished. Very much so. It was a strange goal score. You might necessarily expect Tanaka to pop up in the, well, eight yards from goal to seal the victory, but I suppose that's the way this game went. And I mean, what a goal it ended on as well. There were four or five players involved, kind of ticky-tacky football all the way through the penalty area and, and yeah, a fine finish. And it was a good job that wasn't ruled out because the quality of goal didn't deserve uh, the game, the um, goal to be ruled out. So yeah, fantastic. I think it was in, in the end a deserved victory for Sapporo, but you've got to feel for Kachua to come out of that nine goal thriller with nothing is yeah it's got to be devastating for them yeah remarkable stuff so yeah the shot count was obviously excessive um 12 to 19 in favor of the visitors according to the j league and 14 to 25 uh, according to google a Sapporo had 60 percent possession and um yes well they've left with another big three points and um yeah as we've said it, it'll go down in the annals of uh, of j league history uh, a great start to the uh, the next 30 years of the J-League. That'll certainly take some topping as, um, yes, the game of the season, I think. Uh, ultimately, it's left Raysol level on points now down at the bottom with the Shonan and uh, Yokohama FC, as we'll come on to later on in the episode. Gumbro Osaka are now off the foot of the table. And I guess for Raysol, Sam, the only good thing that came out of uh, Saturday night, well, good for a, um, a Raysol fan that we both know, Harry, one of our patrons, unfortunately dropped a, uh, a vintage Raysol shirt out of his backpack on the way back to the station after the game on Saturday night. Uh, took to Twitter and uh, was very relieved to see that um, the Twitter magic worked and uh, the uh, the the shirt was handed in and Harry was able to go and pick it up on the Sunday morning from uh, from Kashiwa station so uh, that's about the only good thing that came out of it from a uh, from a Kashiwa perspective obviously their fans got to see their their team score four goals but I'll taste uh, a bit of defeat at the end of the day but uh, thankfully uh, for Harry he was able to get his uh, shirt back yeah, that's great. I mean, the power of Twitter, wonderful. It's, it's a cesspit most of the time, but it can come good. And that's pretty incredible that they managed to do that. So very happy for him. But yeah, I'd say the goals that they scored has to be a positive. They'd only scored seven. No, was it nine before this game? So they <laughs> yeah, that's four true. And yeah. one. I think you had to get some shooting boots on. So hopefully they, for them, they can take that 
that on. They need to sort themselves out defensively, but I think Ihara already knew that and will be looking into the transfer window to try and shore themselves up. But yeah, getting some goals to yeah, it's hopefully it gives them some confidence. But yeah, it is such a bitter pill to swallow to lose in that fashion. Absolutely, absolutely. All right then. So um, yes, I don't think we could. There was anywhere else we could start than uh, Hitachi on Saturday night. So um, yes, that's the the first game of our roundup taken care of. I mentioned a guest is returning after a long absence. It's uh, Sean Galbraith to chat about Yokohama F Marinos and indeed uh, Ange Postacoglu, and he'll be with us uh, right after this. Welcome back, and as promised before the break, it's a, a big welcome back to the podcast to Sean Goldbraith, who, as uh, Sam joked in the green room, is uh, fast becoming our uh, Ange Postacoglu correspondent, as, uh, yes, there is again a big news regarding the former Yokohama F. Marino's boss, and uh, we'll get to that in good time. But, uh, yes, first and foremost, uh, welcome back to the pod, Sean, and how are you? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's good to, good to be back. Um, I'm doing not too bad, I think. Um Head's kind of still trying to get around the news that you mentioned there, and uh, but at least Marino's everything's been going well so far. The season's looking good, so positives and negatives, yeah. Yes, indeed, swings and roundabouts, and um, well, yes, uh, we've uh, we've got some uh, some big news to chat about. Obviously, the the game on Saturday afternoon at Ajinomoto Stadium, where uh, F Marino's moved a joint top with uh, Kobe, who didn't play. Uh, this past weekend, uh, but uh, yes, as we'll come on to, we said uh, yeah, Ange Postacoglu in the news again, and uh, yeah, coincidentally, the last time you were on was uh, when we discussed his initial move to Celtic and how that might go, and uh, now it looks uh, almost certain that he'll be joining uh, Tottenham in the Premier League. So as I said, we'll come to that, and we'll, we're also sending out uh, our best regards to Stuart Woodward, who's not to feeling his best, and obviously uh, usually joins us when we've got to F Marino's news to chat about, but uh, wasn't available tonight. So, uh, Stuart, rest up, mate, and uh, we hope to catch you again soon. But, uh, yeah, first and foremost, then, uh, Sean, the the game on Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm not sure if you'd taken your seat or not, or you're still waiting in line for a beer when uh, Anderson Lopez gave uh, F. Marinos the lead after just 39 seconds. But it was, uh, to put it mildly, a, a dream start for your side. No, you're right. I missed it, actually. I was outside the stadium and I heard the noise. <laughs> <laughs> was it 90 seconds or something, right? So, no, no uh, uh, less than 40. 40 seconds. I mean, that's that's really rare. I've never seen in the last few games we haven't gotten off to a great start, to be honest. It's been a bit slow. Um, so I don't know if it was just the fact that the way FC Tokyo play, they tried to press straight away and that left a bit of space behind. Uh, before they kind of got their bearings, we, we just got in there. But um, yeah, I think part of that, yeah, uh, we were just... No, maybe not lucky, but it got off to a good start. And then when FC Tokyo kind of they found their bearings of it, it got a bit harder than that. But um, yeah, it's I mean it just shows right from, right from the start of the game you got to press, you got to pay attention, you can't let people get balls into the box or anything can happen, right? Absolutely. And the man who set that goal up, Jan Mateus, with a cross in from the right. Well, he almost made it 2-0 in just the fifth minute. But Jakub Slovic had to charge off his line to save at close range. So um, what have you made? Uh, I know we've spoken about him a lot and we we did uh, mention him to Sean Carroll last week as well. But uh, yeah, the growing influence of uh, Jan Mateus down the right 
for uh, for F Muddy Nose. He basically he seems to be keeping Kota Mizunuma out of the team at the moment. And whether that's uh, Kevin Muscat holding Mizunuma back for the busy summer months or not, I'm not sure. But uh, at the moment, yeah, Mateus, uh, Jan Mateus, uh, looks to be uh, pretty much undroppable. And um, yeah, as we said, he's uh, he, he's played a, a major role in uh, this uh, this lengthy uh, run of good results for uh, F Muddy Nose in the last couple of months. Yeah, he's like a man possessed recently. Um, it's just the whole, um, like you said, keeping Mizunuma out of the team because he was a he was a bang bang on starter for the rest of for for the last last season, or at least he would come on as a sub. But um, these days, uh, Yamatez is playing maybe even the full game, if not seventy minutes, and he's he's the guaranteed starter now. I think, and it's it's interesting because last season, I, honestly, I wasn't impressed by him when he was getting he was coming on for the last twenty minutes. He looked like he wasn't sure of his touch, didn't have much confidence. Nothing was coming off for him. But now, uh, kind of like Mizunuma last season, he's gone in through this purple patch where everything's working. The crosses are perfect. He's taking shots from outside the box and scoring. He's taking men on constantly and beating them. And yeah, he just looks on fire at the minute. And just to the goal scorer as well, Anderson Lopez. Have you noticed an improvement in his game this season? Obviously, without Leo Ciara to rely on as a backup, do you think he's taken on that mantle? Because and I've joked about him for many years on this podcast. It's getting quite fortunate, I suppose, at Sapporo. But this season, he just seems to have really advanced his game. And this was an incredible header. Yeah, even at the start of his Marino's career, it was kind of the goals were like those Sapporo goals where he'd just be in the box and the ball would hit off his head and go in or something like that. It was He's like the luckiest man on earth, but no, it's just it's all it's all skill, and he's he knows where to be at the right time, and it's just the way he gels with the teammates, he gets in front of his man, um, and into the physical aspect of it as well. Just his fitness must be insane because, like you said, without Leo Sierra, usually last season he'd be taken off at like 60, 65 minutes for the other striker, but now sometimes he's playing the full game, or he might get taken off for the uh, Sugimoto or something at the. Uh, near the end of the game, um, but I've seen him pretty much play the full ninety minutes every every game midweek, and then the the end of the week weekend as well, and it's it's insane, right? I mean, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that'd be insanely fit, but he just he doesn't run out of steam and he, he chases the ball down. He does everything that um, Kevin asked him to do, I suppose, and that's why he's he has to be picked. If he got injured, we'd be in serious trouble. I mean, there's no one in our team who can who's capable of doing what he does. Um, and that's that's a worry, I think. So we really need to keep him fit. Indeed. Now, um, I'm not sure where uh, Teruhito Nakagawa would rank in terms of your uh, your favourite players, Sean, during his uh, stint at uh, F Marinos. But uh, as we know, he was a, a key contributor. Um, well, to put it mildly, to the 2019 champion uh, championship, and then uh, obviously still a, a key part of the squad uh, last year, as you won your second title in four seasons. So, um, how affectionate were you towards Nakagawa, and how strange was it seeing him in in the shirt of a rival uh, on a Saturday afternoon? Especially, uh, how did you feel when he set up the equaliser for uh, Diego Oliveira with a, a lovely crossing from the right uh, just past the half? hour yeah it's funny to see um i think for the last three seasons he was there all my kits had nakagawa on the back so it wasn't i wasn't too happy to lose him but um i think it was that kind of timing where he was at the age where um he was it was a sub uh for us uh, a super sub right and we we couldn't really afford the luxury of paying him whatever um 
contract he deserved really at that point. So it made sense for him to move, and I don't think anyone begrudged him for that. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was strange watching him in the opposition, but uh, it was quite funny actually because, like you're saying about affection, uh, he was booed very heavily during the the start of the game before the game, in fact, when they introduced the players and whenever he was on the ball. But it was kind of he said himself after the game, it was there was affection in the booing probably, uh, yeah. because after the game, probably however many Mariners fans there were, were there, hundreds, thousands, whatever, they. Pretty much everybody waited like, 20 minutes for him to come back out just so they could see him again. And after booing him for 90 minutes during the match, right? So it just kind of shows that for 90 minutes he was the enemy, but he's still loved and people miss him a lot. But um, speaking of the game itself, yeah, I think most of FC Tokyo's chances, the most dangerous chances came through using him, right? The the ball kind of played in front of him and the kind of overlaps with, was it Koizumi Abbey in the middle? And then, of course, the crosses into uh, Diego Oliveira. And that was perfect timing most of the time. Um, I mean, I think it could have been defended better, the first one. I think it's Hatanaka uh, Diego gets in front of. But um, mm. just putting the ball into the box, into the right place and knowing where he's going to be and having a striker like that to get on the end of it, I think that's it's a deadly partnership, right? Um, so I think probably teams who come up against FC Tokyo, the number one thing they have to think about first is how to shut him down and at least have two men on him because we kind of play quite compact in defense right and succeed the win the wings to the the opposition and leaving nakagawa to run against uh kind of not the fastest central defense ever is is not a great idea and i think there was a few chances he could have scored more right he got a shot from outside the box as well he looked really dangerous the whole game um and i'm happy to not have to play him again for a while yeah, he certainly, yeah, certainly looked up for it, Sam. And, um, yeah, as we said, got the assist for the uh, the leveller uh, just past the half hour. And in, in the post-game um, in the post game chat with the zone, Kevin Musket said, Sam, that it was the first half that um, his, uh, his players will probably want to forget uh, fairly quickly. And, uh, yeah, Tokyo did go in at the break 2-1 ahead, and it was that man again, Diego, uh, a minute before the break. This time the ball was crossed in from the left by uh, Ryoma Watanabe, and uh, Diego got yeah in between the the centre back and uh, and the left back Katsuya Nagato to, to to head in superbly. So um, yeah, as I said, Tokyo fell behind in the first minute. They could have been two 0 down by the fifth, but then uh, yeah, it was a, a decent enough fight back by the the home team uh, to go in in the uh, in the ascendancy after uh, two terrifically taken goals by uh, Diego Oliveira. Yeah, I thought Tokyo had a very good first half. Uh, obviously, a lot down that right-hand side with Nakagawa. I think, obviously, Marinos pushed high up it. That gave him a bit of space to run into. And, he was, yeah, he was very much enjoying that. I think he looked like he had. A, it was a player with something to prove. He was very much up for it. Uh, his delivery was usually very good. Diego, yeah, takes advantage of some weakish defending. The, the marking is not great, but the finishes were both very, very good. And, yeah, Tokyo were absolutely in the ascendancy. And if Morishige's header had mm. just gone in below the bar, this mm. could be an entirely different game. Yeah, yeah. Or even, well, yeah, Morishiga heading against the bar and then Nakagawa 
blasting the rebound on target, on the volley, but uh, Junichi Mori leaping to his right to save. Obviously, yes, uh, as a Tokyo uh, supporter, that's uh, been replayed in my head a number of times since Saturday afternoon, as if we had gone into the break 3-1 up, um, we might have been able to shut the door. But as it was, um, well, yeah, I'm sure Muscat gave them a rocket at halftime, Sean. Um, Everybody knows had to do better, and uh, just past the hour, uh, Lopez drew the visitors level with his uh, second of the afternoon, volleying in across from Eduardo. The Tokyo offside line was almost perfect. Morishige had uh, had played his part, and uh, indeed Lopez was in front of him. But uh, unfortunately, Morishige wasn't to know that uh, Shuhei Tokamoto, the left back, had uh, slipped a yard um, deeper than he should have been, and that meant uh, that meant that Lopez was uh, onside. And um, yes, his uh, his terrific finish uh, leveled matters. And as we're going to come on to, um, yeah, the rest of the afternoon certainly didn't go for Tokyo. But uh, this was another terrific goal from Lopez. Yeah, I think you're right. I thought it was offside actually as well when I when I saw it in the stadium, and I didn't realise yeah the left back was a bit maybe two steps behind where he should have been. And uh, that yeah, you're right. That was maybe well, lucky that that happened that way. But you got to be in there and you got to take the, the chance right and and he was there and he did it. it was a good finish um was it kind of it was like a side foot or something actually right but um i don't know it just seems to always be there at the right time i've noticed like maybe like three or four times this season he's had var have taken a long time checking his goals because they're always kind of just on the line like that mm. and he's the kind of player that'll play to the whistle right and he won't just assume he's offside and he just blasts it in anyway and it's you got that's the way you got to play, right? And just uh, hopefully someone else will be playing you on side, and that's what happened in this case. Yes, and uh, Sam, we better bring you in as the independent arbiter here because in the 67th minute, Kuriu Matsuki and uh, Marcos Junior, a pair of uh, substitutes, uh, tussled out by the uh, the, the right hand touchline as uh, Tokyo attacked. Um, and uh, yes, there was a coming together. Marcos Junior hit the floor, and uh, the referee was uh, re- requested over for a check of the monitor, and uh, Matsky was sent off. So, um, yeah, I don't know if we need the VAR drop here, but it was, uh, yeah, uh, you better talk us through it and your opinion of the of the incident and whether the ultimate decision was correct. Yeah, very interesting. Like, I think it's a split opinion from everything that I've seen. Lots of people have different views on it. I think the right decision has been made. I think it's a red card. I think uh, Matsky, they've slowed down, so you can't say that his arm is coming back in a running motion. I think he absolutely throws the elbow back. Yes, Marcos Jr. makes a lot of it, makes a meal of it, but I think there's quite clear intent, in my opinion, from Matsuki. I think it's one that he's going to le- have to learn from. Uh, I was surprised that he was even playing, to be honest. I mean, just come back from Argentina a couple of, like a day or so before, after a 24-hour flight. I know I couldn't do that. I'd be asleep for the next three or four days. So I don't know if that played any part in, like, clouding his judgment or anything like that. A bit of a tired mind, but I thought this was a, yeah, he'd been riled up. He'd been played a little bit by Marcos Jr., but he throws the elbow back and catches him. So once that's seen on by the VAR, I don't think they had any other choice to make. Yeah, and I mean, uh, obviously it, it, it severely hampered my side's um, chances of winning the game. But yeah, I mean, I have to say I, I fully agree. Um, yeah, there was clear contact there. And 
um yeah you you shouldn't be doing that if if the roles were reversed and it was uh, an f marinos player uh, doing that to a, a tokyo player then i would expect him to get sent off so yeah i think uh, matsuki uh, was shown uh, correctly shown the red card as i said it did make things very very tough for tokyo um and then it was just a matter of if uh, f marinos could break through sean and uh, well they finally did it was um, Kota Mizunuma, who we've mentioned earlier, is uh, finding it hard to get a start these days. But, you know, you can always count on him uh, for good delivery from the right off the bench. And uh, in the 89th minute, just when Tokyo supporters was maybe uh, starting to think they might hold on for a point, uh, Mizunuma crossed. Uh, I'm not sure what Keigo Higashi was doing. A bit of a, a leaping salmon effort. Uh, to try and, um, I don't know, make uh, Marcos Jr. double over laughing or something at uh, his attempt to try and make contact and clear the ball. But uh, Marcos controlled and uh, from close range, uh, slotted home past Jakob Slovic. So, I mean, you would have been um, beside yourself with joy at that moment. Uh, for Tokyo supporters, obviously, it was it was gutting. But, um, yeah, a, a big game player, Marcos Jr., no question about that, and a, a huge win for uh, for F Marino sealed by his uh, 89th minute goal. Yeah, I mean, it, the there's been a bit of debate, I suppose, this season. Nishimura has been kind of starting in that role that would have been Marcus Jr. What two or three seasons ago? Um, and I don't know, Marcus Jr. is probably still one of the highest paid players at the team. And the question was last season: Should we keep him on for another season? Is it worth having a player probably on quite big wages taking up one of the foreign player slots? who's going to be on the bench most of the time, it might come on some games. But I think it's just the, the, the influence he has. And you see after when he scored the goal, he, he jumps the barriers and runs over to the fans. And I think he, he said things in conferences, like he wants to retire at Marino's and uh, all is in his house. He's got like a shrine of his footballing career and it's all Marino's. And he's, he just seems like the nicest guy. And he, he's kind of like so loved by the fans. And you can see that it means a lot to him too. And it, was, it probably hurt him a lot that he didn't have doesn't get the minutes that he, he used to get. And so it was, it was amazing just to see him get that goal at the end. And yeah, I think that it just made it so much better that it was him. And that, uh, he's had a few, he's missed a few chances in the last few games. And it's kind of, you can see it was getting him down and taking a, he took a knock in his confidence because of that. But yeah, I mean, so it was, it was brilliant for him to get a last minute goal. And like you were saying, again, a bit of luck. Um, the ball kind of just felt him. Uh, he wasn't. It wasn't even in the best position. Really, he was just standing there, and it kind of somehow slipped through all defence. But he, he took a shot well, and near post. Uh, I mean, I know he's very close, but uh, being the keeper at near post, there's some skill there, right? And placing a shot perfectly, and uh, yeah, the best time to do it, right? 89th minute. Even though there was a good what, eight minutes of additional time after that, I think at the game people mostly people felt that the game was sealed there until. I think it was the last minute. Was it? I don't know who had a header, but um, that could have drawn it three-three, right? Indeed, yeah. I'm trying to forget about that, but yeah, it was uh, again <laughs> close. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah one last chance, and we uh, yeah Tokyo uh, almost uh, nicked a point against the odds. But um, well, yeah, I mean Sam, uh, yeah. W- once that Muskie's red card was shown with uh, as as we said about 20 minutes ago, I mean it was just a matter of if Tokyo could hold on, and um, yeah, ultimately. Um, 
They could not, and uh, yeah, as we've said with Sean, a, a well-taken goal by Marcos, and um, yeah, a, a huge result for F. Marinos going forward. What did you think of their overall performance then on the afternoon? I mean, it's hard to, to judge again when they played the last 20 minutes against 10 men who were, who were digging in for a point, but um, yeah, I guess the fact that they've broken... Uh, them down when you know in recent games we've seen some teams um with 10 men faring better than their opponents with 11 but so the fact that f Marinos have been able to dig out the three points here is is obviously huge for them yeah for a very professional performance in the end i thought generally for until the red card i'd say i'd argue tokyo were probably the better side um going into it but yeah marinos once you have that man advantage they're a team that are usually going to break you down even against 11 men they usually break you down and the options they still have off the bench when you can bring on marcos jr and koto mizanuma maybe it's not quite as strong as the squad was last season or in antropostokoglu's title victory maybe but there's still so much so many quality players there they're going to keep testing a defense and eventually they broke them down it helps that i don't know what keigo higashi was doing i just when he first went in, I thought he must have been pushed for him to go down in the way he does. But, yeah, there's nothing there. It's just really weak defending. So, yeah, they've just been able to grind out victories this season. I still don't think they're playing necessarily as well as they have done in previous years. But that mentality is there. They always believe they're going to uh, come out with a victory. And this was another occasion uh, that they did that. Um, Sean, how would you uh, sum up that kind of this season compared to maybe last season or other title victories? Do you think the squad is there? Do you think you're playing quite as well as previously? And do you think going into this latter part of the season where you've got the ACL, you're going to have to juggle as well? Do you think the squad is strong enough to battle on those two fronts? Um, it's going to be tough. I think uh, Kobe, they, they never look like losing any of the games they play uh, compared to us, where, like you're saying, we, we kind of have ground out a few victories and had a few comebacks in the last minute like this and against Kobe. And we've lost a few games that we probably should have won, like in Niigata away, things like that. Um, that Kobe don't seem to be dropping the same amount of points. But then you look at the board and they've got a game in hand, but we're, we're there. So I think um, it's not going to be... I don't think it's going to be like uh, a few seasons ago when it was us in Frontale kind of running away with it. I don't think so. I think there'll be a good three or four teams, maybe even five, up there until quite late in the season. And at that point, if everyone's taking points off each other, we can still be in the mix. But I don't think we're uh, a kind of runaway first or second like we were before. But uh, again, I think we'll still be up there. So as long as you're up there, then you're in with a chance, right? Yeah. Now, Sean, you mentioned the, uh, the, the problems you might have if there's an injury to Anderson Lopez. So does that mean... Uh, you think going into the market for a uh, for a striker, and uh, I presume you'd like somebody of a similar vein uh, to to Anderson Lopez uh, in the summer is uh, is an absolute necessity. Then, as uh, as Sam says, yes, you're going to be battling um, on uh, a couple of big fronts uh, towards the end of the J League season, and uh, yeah, you're hoping that the ACL campaign will obviously continue uh, well beyond that. So um, yeah, you would be anticipating Kevin Muscat has already got some targets identified and uh, as soon as the window opens um he'll be uh, he'll be jumping on one or two of them you'd hope yeah i hope so because i've no idea what the recruitment strategy is this season <laughs> i mean we had uh i mean we lost our goalkeeper and replaced them with uh alone aloni from gamba um who i think ichimori has been 
Uh, it, it came in with a reputation of this kind of ball-playing goalkeeper, and uh, he hasn't really done that well, and he hasn't been much of a shot stopper either. So he's improved a lot, I think, over the last few games compared to the start of the season, but uh, definite downgrade there, uh, and I don't think we can get another keeper, so we're stuck with that. Uh, striker, like you're saying, yeah, uh, we got uh, Kenyu in, who, I mean, it defies belief. What was the what were they thinking with that? Like, uh, just because he's available, we'll take him, kind of thing. And I think it's the same with Ikura as well, right? Um, we're signing all these guys that we should not be signing. They should be nowhere near our squad, but we keep filling it up with them, and that takes away places that we could sign someone else. Um, I think was it Eric uh, who went to Machida? Mm. J two. I mean, that's the kind of signing I think we should be making. And I mean, much there are up there in, in J two because of having a player like him, right? Um, partly. So yeah, I've, I've no. I'm. I was very disappointed with the recruitment in general this year, and I hope in the summer they've got a chance to correct some of that. And yeah, striker for me is on the top of the list. I don't think we need another winger. Maybe one. I don't know. Miyachi um, is back, uh, and he deserves a chance as well. I think. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, striker, I think, for me, would be the number one position we need to fill. All right. Uh, Sam, anything else from you uh, for Sean on F. Marinos? Or shall we move on to the latest episode of the Postacoglu Chronicles? Yeah, well, just um, yeah, before we move on to Ange and whatnot, and obviously you lost uh, Tomoki Iwata in the winter, uh, is there any fear of any more Marinos players heading out to... Europe, and so we're about to get into that start of the period, that period where we have that exodus of J League players. Is there anyone you're kind of worried about um, going, or do you think you've got a fairly settled squad? Nobody that sticks out particularly as it would um, be a a target, but uh, maybe Fujita. Joel, I think, has been probably at the start of the season, I think he was looking for a move somewhere, but. I mean, he's currently still a kind of bit part player. I mean, he plays almost every game as a sub, but uh, I could see him moving to maybe like a second division team in Europe or something like that to try and uh, get a chance out there. Well, he's still young, he's still got the chance. Uh, the rest of the squad is actually, I think, I mean, they're quite aged, right? Most of the players they've got, um, they're kind of past their chance in, in Europe. And, and that's a worry about the squad over the next few seasons. Maybe players like Matsubara, Kida. Um, Mizunuma, they're kind of getting to the end of their career at some point, and at some point they're going to, their performance is going to drop, so we need to replace them. Um, not that they'll go to Europe, but that just they, they're at the end of the squad might be getting to the end of its, its life cycle. But um, yeah, I suppose young players like Nishimura have uh, potential to to go abroad, but uh, I don't I don't think there's a standout. There's not like a not like a Iwata was or uh Maida or something like that you can see fitting in systems abroad uh i'm not i'm not too worried but you never know um i didn't really see amano and endo players like that leaving and they did as well so who knows what other scouts are seeing and they've amano has done quite well in korea uh so you you can always get moves like that that you don't see coming and they, they work out well for the players i think every player's got ambition to play abroad right uh, most of the players in the J League, so you, you never know what's going to happen. But I'm not particularly worried compared to a few other teams who might um, have some of their stars poached, like uh, Ito was today, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, the, the only one I'd be like if Sonoda hadn't got injured, then I could I could maybe see him go in the summer. I think he's been a loss for you. Uh, Obviously, less players um, defensively now. Eduardo, I don't think has played particularly well, not as well, maybe at Tosu. So that would be one maybe I would watch. But I think that injury might be slightly beneficial for Marinos at least for this season. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point actually. And like you said, yeah, I would have, he's a, a bang on starter for centre back for us. Um, yeah, I mean, he had a few shaky games last season, I think, but um, still, I'd put him in there. I don't know who I'd partner him with. I don't know if I'd have him in Hatanaka or him in Eduardo, uh, which is going to show us what I think about the level of both of the current <laughs> central defence. But um, <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to get it. Actually, now that you mention it, it would be nice to have another central defender. Um, I mean, I mean Freeze probably what most clubs have, but uh, nice to have choice there in case one of them get injured, right? We'd have to bring in someone from the youth squad or someone, but um, or play someone out of position, which we've done before. But yeah, um, defence, again, could be on the shopping list, but uh, we'll see. I think uh, we've actually, we've not been using the full foreign player allocation uh, recently. But I noticed a lot of teams aren't these days uh, since the, the trendy five players came in for a few seasons. I think a lot of people have realised that it's not necessarily a good idea to have that many foreign players in the team just because. But um, there is another slot we have there, and maybe we could get someone else in. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. It uh, promises to be a really interesting summer for uh, for F. Muddy knows uh, behind the scenes. And then, uh, well, yeah, once the second half of the season gets rolling, um, yeah, how uh, how F. Muddy knows get on on the pitch uh, first and foremost in the uh, in J1, but then yes, with an ACL campaign looming of course and yeah there's a couple of huge uh, games on the slate as you uh, start the second half of the season Sean I'm not sure how far you've looked ahead but yeah there's uh, trips to Hiroshima Nagoya and uh, Urawa coming up by the uh, the start of August so uh, there'll be uh, there'll be huge games as, as well as a couple of uh, Kanagawa derbies at home so uh, yes uh, never a dull moment supporting F Money knows that's for certain and uh, yeah your your boys, uh, I'm sure, will be uh, in the thick of it right until the end again this season. All right. So, uh, well, yes, uh, Stuart was unavailable, as we said earlier on in, in part two. So we've uh, we've brought you off the bench, Sean. And coincidentally, um, uh, on a week where there is a huge news regarding uh, Ange Postacoglu, um, of course, formerly of this league and formerly of your club. And, uh, of course, he moved on to your other great love, uh, Glasgow Celtic, where he has enjoyed uh, two trophy-laden seasons and indeed has just wrapped up the domestic treble before uh, it's basically now been uh, re- um, yeah, reported that uh, Tottenham have agreed a contract with uh, Ange to make him their new manager. And uh, according to Fabrizio Romano on the, the Guardian website, uh, confirmation is due once compensation is settled with Celtic. So, um, yes, you had some some glory years with Ange at uh, F. Madinos, Sean. You've had the two wonderful years with him at Parkhead. Uh, how difficult is it to see him uh, move on, I guess, so quickly? We know how ambitious Ange is, but um, I guess you, you must have hoped that he would stick around for a couple more years. But uh, once an opportunity like this to manage an inverted commas big club in the Premier League uh, came around, I guess there was um, there was always only ever going to be one conclusion. Yeah, I, mean, I think I said before that um, managers only really leave 
too early or too late, right? There's there's no right time for a manager to leave a club um, unless they retire or something, right? Um, and against both Marinos and Celtic, the fans maybe might think it was too early or it was at the wrong time or they could have done more of the project. Uh, Marinos being halfway through the season and Celtic being yeah quite quite early, only two uh, seasons, and uh, he only had one shot at Europe that uh, I think probably was quite disappointed himself in. Uh, I mean, I think like playing Real Madrid, for example, we didn't play that badly, but uh, I think he would have been disappointed not to make a mark there uh, and take some of the chances. If we did, it could have been different. And maybe if he had a second shot at that, then I think that's what people were hoping. What can he do in next season? Can he upset some of the the big European names of uh, Ange Ball in the Champions League? And uh, going to Spurs, I suppose, it's uh, kind of more like being at Marinos where you're expected to be at the top of the table and the expedition is different and there's more pressure in that regard. Um, I mean, Celtic, of course, domestically, right? You're supposed to you have to win every game, but um, you've got the resources to do that and there's not a lot of teams that can match you. But as far as uh, there's about five or six clubs that are as good, if not better, than you. So... Um, I mean, it's a different kind of challenge for him, but I think no one can... Compared to other managers in the past who've left Celtic, at least, uh, like Brendan Rodgers, who's uh, referred to as various names, various uh, animals by Celtic support, I think, uh, various uh, reptiles, maybe, actually. It's a better way to put it. Uh, the, well, the way that Ange is being seen is, of course, there's some people upset, but a lot of people are wishing him well and saying they understand. Uh, he's, he's, I mean, he's not the youngest manager in the world. Uh, there's no guarantee he'll get another shot like this again, and people, people get it. Um, everyone wants to get the, the shot at playing the best uh, level of football in the world, and I do think the Premier League is for club football the top level. Um, so no one really begrudges them for that in the main part, but people are upset that um, he had. A connection, I suppose, with the club, uh, kind of his roots being in South Melbourne, things like that, uh, a club kind of founded by Greek immigrants to Australia, Celtic being like that with Irish immigrants to Scotland and having that kind of connection with uh, the, the, the family and the, the supporters. Uh, people maybe were a bit too optimistic, I think, about his, uh, that taking a higher priority than his career ambitions, which are to play at the top level of football. Um, and that's that's not the case, right? And I don't think anyone can can say a bad word about him. Uh, he's been a credit to himself in the two seasons he's been at Celtic. Um, he's won everything except Europe. He hasn't made a mark in Europe, but uh, domestically, you can't ask for any more than a treble, right? So um, I think it kind of it goes with our best wishes, but uh, a little bit of regret he didn't get another shot at Europe. Uh, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how he does with a completely different kind of environment. I think at least at Marinos and Celtic, he had uh, quite a lot of control over football operations and signings, things like that. Uh, from what I've heard about Spurs, that might not be the case. So we'll see how he gets on. Uh, and I'll definitely be following him with uh, interest. And I hope he does. It does really well.
Yeah, he certainly got a lot of uh, disciples, hasn't he, Sam? Uh, people who have followed his uh, career at every step. And, um, yeah, people who became interested in F. Marinos maybe still hold a uh, still hold a candle for the Yokohama side, even though he's moved on to, to, to Celtic, where, um, yeah, a lot of people's attention turned. And now it's, uh, it's on to the bright lights of the Premier League. And I guess, um, well, there'll be familiar... Uh, queries from the support, um, you know, who's this Australian guy and is he going to be up to this level? There will be, there's no question, there will be doubters and uh, people, you know, um, yeah, holding their nose and saying, well, yeah, he's he's not going to be up to it, this this guy who's uh, who's managed in Australia, Japan and uh, and Scotland before, he, he won't be at this level. But, um, you know, as Sean said, he's won uh, everywhere he's gone. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge task to uh, to try and turn around Spurs. But, um, yeah, this is a club that just uh, three or four years ago were in the Champions League final. So there is uh, there are obviously huge players at the at the club and in the squad and um yeah he'll he'll be relishing the challenge and uh of, again of of turning um of, of turning doubters into believers to to borrow a, a Jurgen Klopp phrase and um yeah i guess the uh, from our perspective as a japanese football podcast um yeah Ange's uh, long since departed these shores but i guess uh, one of the uh, the questions that will be raised and uh, we'll be watching out for is whether he does indeed uh, bring any japanese players into the club once uh, um yeah once he's settled and once uh, the the off-season recruitment for for spurs starts to take shape yeah, well, that's going to be the main interest uh, for me, especially to see whether any from Celtic come down, whether Furuhashi comes in, if Harry Kane leaves potentially, or maybe Hatate comes into that midfield. There's not many great options in that uh, Spurs midfield. So that would be interesting and whether he facilitates moves for other Japanese players. You think maybe Daji Kamada, I know he's been heavily linked with AC Milan, but maybe Ange could turn his head and there. So, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what approach he does, whether he does stick with the, some Japanese players as he has done at Celtic. But it's a very interesting move. It does feel like we've turned the clock back two years to the exact same Twitter response that <laughs> met his uh, arrival at Celtic and Tottenham fans going, oh, who is he? Or he's not done anything uh, and all this sort of thing. It's going to be very interesting. I think it's a good challenge for him. I can understand why some Celtic supporters think, Oh, no, they haven't got the history that we have. They're not as big a club as we have. But uh, I think it's a really interesting uh, challenge for him. There are plenty of positives to go to Spurs. Obviously, had a really poor season this year. It's a long, it's a big rebuild that he has to do. It's a, um, but it's a team that, as you mentioned, Champions League final a few years ago. You would expect, as, although Celtic are in the Champions League next season and Spurs aren't, you think there's maybe the potential more for Spurs to go deeper in that tournament eventually once they get into it uh, uh, again. Uh, so, yeah, I can absolutely see why he's gone there. I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I'm happy to see Ange Ball there well, close and personal. I'd rather it wasn't necessarily for Spurs. Maybe you could choose a different team. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I wish him all the best. And hopefully we get to see a few more Japanese players rock up in the Premier League. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Um, we know that uh, Kaoru Mitoma was uh, one of the ones he initially wanted to take to Celtic, but wasn't able to. Uh, Sean, I imagine you'd be well and truly in f- in favour of that if uh, if Ange was able to pry uh, Mitoma away 
from from Brighton. Uh, the, obviously, the queue forms to the right. I think a lot of uh, a lot of clubs are interested in taking Matoma off Brighton's hand after the uh, the season he's just had. But um, well, yeah, that would be uh, a fascinating combination, wouldn't it? Uh, basically, the, the man of the moment uh, on the pitch for Japan versus um, yeah, one of the uh, the, the true revolutionaries uh, of the the Japanese game who helped to turn your side F Marino's back into uh, into a superpower. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what you're saying was that um, he was identified by Ange as one of the targets he wanted uh, for Celtic when he first uh, first went there, and uh, it was a bit too slow maybe for that. But um, it, it kind of shows that Ange he he knows. Uh, I mean, he has this system and he knows what players will fit that system. And so he's very meticulous about making sure he gets those kind of players uh, or players who, who can buy into his philosophy and follow him. So it's it's going to be interesting and in probably Premier League will have the kind of players that are the most sort of egotistic and uh, maybe less likely to listen to him, but also the most skilled as well who can probably execute what he wants uh, as well. Uh, well, better than anyone so far, right? So it'll be interesting to see the kind of the best Angeval you can get. I guess you can the peak Angeval. We maybe see it as far as if he gets it right. But um, yeah, I think in the Japanese players are. It seems like they're quite a big part of that. Mitoma, I think, would be would be a good choice. Um, I can't see him poaching any Celtic players, to be honest. I think you're going to ask that, but I mean maybe Furuhashi. Um, but uh, I, I think it's as much as I like Kyo, and there were some rumours about. Um, like 25, 30 million pounds for him. I think a lot of Celtic fans would drive him, drive himself to London for that amount. That, that's crazy money for a, a player who's 20, uh, doesn't have that many years left. And can he replace Harry Kane? I don't know. I would like to, I think, what I'd really like to see is if they keep Harry Kane, have him move back into that kind of sort of slightly deeper role and have him playing the balls through to Kyogo if, if Kyogo went there. I think that would be something that would work really well probably but um then you're also saying you're taking maybe the best striker in the world and moving him back to suit Furuhashi which is <laughs> <Yeah>. probably <laughs> insane when you think about it um but I, I don't know uh like you said yeah I think maybe there are some other options Japanese players he might have a look at but as far as Celtic goes I can't see him taking I mean it would have it would be really giving Hatati a chance to see what he could do if he took him and maybe he does have the potential to play there but um He's maybe not at that level yet, but uh, maybe if you can get them cheaply, then he might give them a shot. But uh, maybe it's a different market that Spurs is in, and maybe he'll be looking elsewhere and identifying other players. But I think, again, like I said earlier, hopefully he gets the freedom to choose the kind of players he wants, and he has a say on whether Harry Kane stays or goes, that kind of thing. And uh, not uh, Spurs' kind of infamous owner pulling the strings, which I think Ange would not be very happy about. Um, and just obviously shopped heavily in the Japanese market um, at Celtic. Do you think that continues at the club or, um, after his departure? Do you think there's enough impression has been made on Celtic to continue looking down those avenues? Or do you think uh, it might end with uh, Postacoglu's departure? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the players Ange has identified personally, right? Uh, except from a few strange... Itaguchi is an example of a player I don't think was an Ange buy, but probably was recommended by some by an agent who Celtic were speaking to about other Japanese players. Um, so there's definitely those connections there. Celtic have the kind of city football group connections as well, originally, which is where the, the Ange connection came from. 
I suppose so through that kind of Marinos and the scouting network there they have the chance to to know which Japanese players are, are up to it I think um, but yeah it's still it's still an undertapped market I think right there's still plenty of players I mean there was rumours about Ryotaro Ito who's gone to Centrodin today for Celtic for a while and um, you know, there's plenty of players like that in the league that I think um, they almost I mean Celtic the, 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 maybe the best thing this will do for Celtic is show that for players and managers uh, Japanese players or even other players that what a good stepping stone it is to the top level of football if you go to Celtic and you play well you're, you're in the shop window of the Premier League basically and you actually I mean you have a visa for the UK right as well you get the, the visa in Scotland, then you can play in England as well. Uh, so that that sorts a lot of uh, issues that, for example, Mitoma had having to play in Belgium for a few years until he could meet the requirements. If you go to Scotland, there's a, a kind of special approval process, and usually they, they approve anyone because the, the approval uh, rating, the, the kind of criteria is will it improve the league, and it's not hard to do that. <laughs> so. Uh, I think, yeah, Japanese players, if they want to come to you, and I'd say this Celtic as well, there's been uh, players at Hearts and uh, was it Motherwell as well, I think. There's a few other players that have um, come over uh, trying to, I guess, put themselves in, for example, the Celtic shop window. And then if you get to Celtic, you can get to the Premier League, right? Uh, so I think I can't, not necessarily the end of Japanese players, but uh, the, the kind of the pipeline that was Ange wants these players will get in them is probably going to shut after this and it'll be maybe a one-off that Celtic might identify another Japanese player or or a Korean player um, but I, I can't see us buying and playing five players uh, like we're doing now. Yeah, really interesting stuff, and um, well, yeah, that's obviously for uh, for Celtic podcasts to uh, to mull over in the off season. But yeah, uh, it's such a um, yeah fruitful market for uh, for for Celtic while Ange was there, and it's a really interesting question, actually, Sam. And thanks for your answer, Sean. It's one I hadn't thought about asking. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see if if that is it or whether uh, Celtic might get, uh, come back in for a couple of uh, J- Japanese players down the line and uh, another question for Celtic podcast to ponder is who will uh, replace Ange in the dugout I'm pretty sure uh, well Kevin Muscat followed in uh, Ange's footsteps once Sean I'm pretty sure he won't be doing it again and uh, not really welcome around uh, Parkhead is he uh, uh, Mr Muscat but uh, we'll uh, yeah we'll wait and see who uh, Celtic plump for uh, for uh, their next coach but um, well yeah I guess this is a game of swings and roundabouts isn't it Sean Saturday afternoon you were bouncing out of uh, Ajinomoto Stadium after that uh, late winner from Marcos Jr. took uh, your side joint uh, joint top with Kobe, but uh, yes, I guess you knew in the back of your mind it might have been the end of the uh, the end of the road for uh, for Ange at your beloved Celtic. So um, yes, you're in some instances very very happy, but it, uh, on another, waving goodbye to um, yes a beloved manager. Would uh, anyway, we would very much like to thank you for popping back on the the podcast. Um, I guess the next time Ange moves to a different club, we'll probably have to have you on again. <laughs> I have to have you on again to talk about it and uh well but yeah in the meantime we we hope we can catch up uh, along the way as well but uh yeah been terrific to catch up with you on this episode thanks again for uh, for taking some time with us yeah no worries ben thanks for having me as always and yeah looking forward to in two years being back on for the next <laughs> the next Ange episode <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Thanks again to Sean Goldbraith. Uh, after a quick hit of music, Sam and I will wrap up the rest of the games played over the weekend in J1 Match Day 16. Welcome back, and uh, thanks again to Sean for uh, all of that in part two. Uh, we'll uh, round up the rest of uh, match day 16, uh, beginning with uh, a game that didn't take place on uh, Saturday, uh, Sam. Uh, Kobe versus Kawasaki was scheduled. It was uh, Sean Carroll's uh, game to watch, uh, unfortunately, though it didn't happen as uh, Typhoon number two uh, swept across the country on uh, Thursday and into Friday and indeed into Saturday morning, it had severely disrupted uh, transportation systems. Uh, the bullet trains stopped, etc., etc., between the Tokyo and uh, Osaka and indeed down to Kobe. So, uh, yes, unfortunately, it meant that logistically the game couldn't go ahead, even though in our uh, line group, Alan Gibson posted uh, uh, some pictures of a gloriously sunny Saturday morning in Kobe. It would have been a perfect day for football, but uh, yes, unfortunately, uh, Frontale uh, weren't able to make the trip in uh, due time. And um, well, yeah, Kobe now have a game in hand on uh, the rest of the uh, the chasing pack. Uh, of course, we said with Sean in part two, they uh, are now level on points with the F Marinos. But uh, yeah, a game in hand. But uh, in the meantime, uh, maybe Kobe uh, Kobe's players will be thankful for the break as they've rested up for a a big clash on a Tuesday night at the National Stadium. Oh, yeah, a huge game against whatever Barcelona can muster coming over from um, Spain after yeah, they finished their season on Sunday. So I, I have no idea what sort of squad it's going to be. I guess it's some sort of occasion. He has to uh, sort of farewell. I think he's still going to play a couple of games, well, theoretically play a couple of games after it. But, yeah, it's it's all a bit weird over at the National Stadium. So it's not like even it's easy for the Kobe supporters to go and watch that game. So, yeah, really strange um, situation necessarily. Just rearranging Emperor's Cup ties as well, which yeah, didn't sit well with too many people. But, yeah, they'll be delighted, I suppose, to have not had to play uh, Saturday, then Tuesday. Indeed. So, uh, yes, that'll be rescheduled in due course. And, um, yeah, obviously, Frontale... Uh, with the the weekend off ultimately as well. All right, so uh, not only did F Marinos make up some ground at the top uh, against Vissel, so too did Nagoya and Hiroshima, who both claimed 3-1 home victories in match day 16. Nagoya's was on Saturday against uh, Cerezo Osaka, and uh, Hiroshima's was on Sunday afternoon against Kyoto uh, at the Toyota Stadium. Cerezo took a very early lead when uh, Kapihaba uh, blasted past Mitch Langerak in just the fourth minute. That came after Ryosuke Yamanaka's shot was blocked and uh, the loose ball rebounded to Kapihaba on the uh, right-hand side of the box. But uh, Ryuji Izumi leveled in the 21st minute with his first league goal since joining Grampus. Then uh, 10 minutes later, Yuichi Maruyama gave Nagoya the lead, though he uh, nearly took fellow defender uh, Shinosuke Nakatani's head off in the process. Uh, from Mateus's corner, Nakatani's header from almost on the goal line was saved at point-blank range by uh, Kim Jin-hyun with uh, the loose ball coming up off Nakatani's head. Uh, Maruyama swiveling to smash in on the volley and very nearly caught his uh, central defensive partner 
in the face. But uh, all's well that ends well. And it was pretty much game set and match two minutes before the break when another uh, Nagoya defender, Haria Fuji, was heavily involved. He won the ball back midway into the Grampus half and released Mateus, who surged forward and unleashed one of those trademark Mateus pile drivers that we all love to see past Kim from the edge of the box. And Nagoya, as they want to do, Sam, basically with that two-goal cushion, turned the second half into pretty much a non-event and uh, cruised to a very comfortable victory. Yeah, very easily uh, seen out. Only had maybe one real clear chance at the start of the second half. The Juncker, uh, saved by the substitute goalkeeper, Yang, who was in for his first league uh, appearance. Uh, I think Kim had had enough after being bombarded for most of that first half. He decided, <laughs> I'm not coming out for the second half. But yeah, other than that, they just saw that game out very easily. They are so comfortable when defending a lead and pushed out of their comfort zone slightly with the early goal. And uh, it kind of brought out the best in Nagoya. I thought they were magnificent. Uh, the way that they could counter, the way that Juncker and Mateus can carry the ball long distances, get them up the field. And yeah, when they had to go out and attack, they showed that they absolutely could. Some of the moves uh, were really nice. The first goal with Izumi was a, a wonderful piece of play from Mateus into Nagai. And then Izumi took the finish on well. And yeah, they just played incredibly well in that first half. It was a side of Nagoya that we haven't seen all too often. But yeah, with the players that they have, it's absolutely something they can do. And I thought they blew Cerezo away at the end of that first half. So yeah, terrific performance from them. And they're showing that they are the real deal this season. They're right up there uh, in, in contention for a title. And it's yeah, you wouldn't necessarily put up too strong an argument to say that they can't do it. No, no, definitely not. Yes, so there's obviously a top six opponent, and uh, they were well and truly put to sleep by uh, by Grampus, as we said, after going, uh, yeah, going behind early doors. Uh, Nagoya turned it around and uh, saw the game out very comfortably. That's three straight wins for Grampus, and they're now just a point behind the top two. Uh, San Frecce are a little bit further back, and that's mainly because they lost at the death in their uh, game in hand away at Urawa in midweek so um yes reds uh, winning through an atsuki ito winner in second half stoppage time and that put uh, the uh, a- any chance of hiroshima putting serious pressure on the uh, the leaders as we approach the halfway point of the season but they're still definitely lurking with intent and as we said they won their fixture in match day 16 uh, 3-1 as well uh, just for a change, they struggled to break an opponent down in the first half that uh, ended goalless. But uh, just before the hour, after some fancy footwork down the left by Tsukasa Morishima, uh, uh, Ezekiel's shot was saved onto the post by uh, Gakuji Ota with uh, Yusuke Chajima arriving to blast home the loose ball from alongside the penalty spot. So that was uh, Hiroshima into the lead just before the hour. Sanga were behind for just 10 minutes, though. A brilliant solo effort cutting in from the left by Yuta Toyokawa brought them level. But two minutes later, maybe Sanga should have been trying to take the sting out of the game at that point, having just gotten back onto level terms, but they were chasing the game again after Gakuto Notsuda's ball across the box was volleyed in by Chajima for 2-1. Now, the highlights didn't show this very clearly, Sam, but immediately after Chajima's second goal, there were some Kyoto 
players surrounding the referee. Was there something I missed in the build-up? There's something that the the Senga uh, players were complaining about in particular? Yeah, as Higashi controls the ball, as he's um, involved in the build-up, the ball bounces up and hits his hand. It's not something he's consciously aware of. It just hits him, and then he plays it to Notsta, and Notsta plays it across. So, in a, a couple of seasons ago, the handball rule would have ruled that out because it eventually leads to the goal. But now, because Higashi doesn't score himself, then they don't have to judge it as a de- definite handball and uh, rule it out. So it's just judged there as um, completely unintentional. I don't think it, it's not like his arms in an, un- in an unnatural position at all. So I, I can understand the frustration that you see the ball hit an arm. But yeah, I think it was completely fair to continue as they did. Rightio, fair enough then. So uh, 2-1, both of the Hiroshima's goals to that point uh, scored by Chajima. And their third was a uh, brilliant uh, solo effort by Takumu Kawamura, who is obviously still on a high uh, celebrating his uh, first call-up to the Japan national team. And, well, yeah, uh, along similar lines to Koyomatsu's goal for Kashiwa Sam in the first half at uh, Hitachidai, on Saturday night, uh, Kawamura basically dashed from 10 yards inside his own half, zipped past uh, some opponents in the centre, and then, uh, yes, with a clear side on goal, finally uh, sat Alter down before rolling in to the keeper's right. And, um, well, yeah, we've mentioned uh, with Sean maybe uh, uh, the possibility of some F. Marinos players uh, moving abroad in the summer. Um, Rio Taro Ito is uh, off, as uh, Sean's mentioned, and we'll talk about shortly when we get to Niigata's game. But, um, yeah, at this rate, Kawamura is uh, making a strong case for uh, a move to uh, to Europe as well, isn't he? I don't know whether it might be a season or half a season too early, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly riding a crest of the wave on that uh, first Japan call-up. There's no question about that. Yeah, very much so, and he can put himself in the shop window in a couple of weeks' time as well if he does perform on the national stage as well. Yeah, it's another very good performance. They need him to step up with Mitsuta uh, injured, who would have probably been another one that Hiroshima would have been quite worried about uh, leaving. But yeah, he's stepped up to that mantle. He's got a bit of luck now, I think, even in this one. I think uh, Ben Khalifa, who he runs past, he's offside and he kind of blocks off a defender. And you could argue, and I saw some Kyoto supporters arguing that Ben Khalifa had obstructed um, the defender and mm. in an offside position, and that maybe should have ruled the goal out. It's a difficult one. I'm not 100% sure. I think they did look at it and determine there was nothing untoward there, but take nothing away from Kawamura's run. It was a fantastic run. And again, the composure to sit the goalkeeper down the way he did, yeah, very, very good. And yeah, he just uh, keeps improving. He's been yeah, tremendous from the second half of last season, the way he burst onto the scene last year maybe gotten over the uh, horrible look that befell him at the start of this season yeah he's turned into a really good player and it would not surprise me if there were uh, eyes coming from Europe uh, to bring Kawamura over yeah he's uh, yeah tremendous and I think he's probably still got a bit of credit in the in in Vars uh, eyes uh, from the, uh, the the first day of the season right Sam the, mm-hmm. the 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 ball that crossed the line that wasn't given I think they're um, while they have been harsh on him at times in the f- other uh, match days I think when they can they're uh, still trying to make it up to him so uh, yeah I don't think they were going to disallow this one and it would have been a crying shame because uh, yeah I did notice the uh, the Ben Khalifa uh, coming together but um, yes uh, ultimately uh, Kawamura the scorer of a, a terrific third for Hiroshima um, now I guess we didn't really um, 
discuss Kashua's plight uh, in detail, Sam, before we finish talking about Saturday night's game back in part one, because we had to get um, we had to get to our chat with Sean. But um, Kyoto are in uh, some pretty dire straits at the moment. There's obviously still four teams below them, but uh, you look up and Gumba have won their last two. Um, so how lo- how much longer Gumba will be behind uh, Kyoto is certainly up for debate. It's a sixth straight league defeat for Chokwijay's side, and they're winless in eight. Um, obviously, Toyokawa is still very, very willing, and uh, they can count on him for uh, for a goal here or there. And, I mean, they did have their chances here. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, there was a late save from uh, Keisuke Osaka when it was still 2-1. Uh, and at that point, Kyoto might have nicked a point, but uh, until Kawamura sealed it, of course. But, um, yeah, slightly worrying times for for Cho and his side as, um, uh, yeah, they, they just need something to go for them, don't they, and arrest this run of, um, well, yeah, poor results. Yeah, they do, because they had chances, as you should mention, in this game. I think Osaka made a number of saves. There was one clearance off the line from Sasaki, so it's not like they're not creating chances, but I think we all saw it at the start of the season. Are they going to be able to score enough goals? And yes, a couple will be able to chip in with a few, but you, there's no goal scorer in this team that you can absolutely rely on. And at the back, they're very shaky. They've had injuries as well, which hasn't really helped them, and they're not very settled in goal either. I think they've tried three goalkeepers out already this season. I mean, a lot of teams are, for whatever reason, are changing things. I'm not entirely sure Wakahara deserved to be uh, dropped and it's not like Otto's come in and been magnificent at all. So, yeah, there are definitely issues there. They're in a similar boat to a number of teams. Like We'll go on to with Niigata, how bad will losing Ito be uh, for Shonan if Machino goes. Again, with Kyoto, if Kawasaki leaves in that midfield, I think they're very much down there. I think it's good for a neutral, I'd say, with the bottom five at the moment. And at the moment, nobody's being cut adrift. So it could be a very exciting relegation battle. But yeah, I've seen very little from Kyoto in the last month and a half, or let's say, that suggests that they're going to be able to steer themselves clear. Maybe those first few games gave them a bit of credit in the bank and then just need to kick on again now. But yeah, they look very easy to get at, and I don't think they're going to outscore too many players, too many teams either. Mm, okay, they, yeah, they just need something to go for them, Kyoto. And, um, well, obviously, they would love to get a win before the international break to send them into uh, those uh, two weeks off uh, on a bit of a high. And, uh, well, yeah, we'll wait and see how they get on uh, this coming weekend. I'll tell you what, Sam, while, while we're uh, talking about teams that are chasing up near the top, let's go ahead and do the uh, Urawa Kashima game then. I think it's one that we can wrap up very uh, quickly indeed. Uh, Reds are fifth. In the table, as I mentioned, Atsuki Ito was the hero in midweek when they beat Hiroshima 2-1 at home with his 92nd-minute winner. But they hosted Kashima on Sunday, and again, yeah, these teams missed the memo on a day where, on a match day, where the goals were raining in up and down the country. Uh, this was the only game that ended goalless. Um, there was a, a good chance for Yuma Suzuki in the 23rd minute. His shot was saved 
by Shusaku Nishikawa, but the closest either side came to a goal in the first half was in stoppage time when a cross from Takahiro Akimoto was deflected onto the post by a sliding Kaishu Sano. Uh, then in second half stoppage time, Jose Kante's header from uh, Takuya Ogiwara's cross was saved by Tomoki Hayakawa. Uh, but um, yeah, apart from that, it was a um, well, yeah, a fairly uneventful Sunday afternoon and evening for the English referee Andrew Madley. Although there were handbags at dawn uh, in the second half stoppage time when he had to uh, give a couple of yellows. Uh, to uh, each team after uh, uh, yeah a bit of uh, a bit of argy bargy but um, yeah ultimately a game that ended nil nil uh, Reds would have loved the the points to move above Hiroshima in the back above Hiroshima in the table uh, but uh, yeah for Antlers it's a third straight draw after their run of uh, five straight wins yeah it was a game I thought where both teams kind of cancelled each other out there was very little in terms of goal mouth action. I think both teams defended pretty well. I know Yuma Suzuki, after the game, was full of praise for the two centre-backs of Urawa. And a very cordial game, actually, because then Reds players came out and said the referee was very good. And Atsuki Ita was one of those. So, yeah, everyone was very happy with each other. Everyone had played pretty well. And I think they just settled on a nil-nil. It was, yeah, I think it was very fair. I think very little between those two sides and both considered themselves in reasonable position at the halfway stage. I think Antlers have done better than I imagined they would do. And uh, Reds, they're they're about having ACL as well to be involved in. I think they've had a very good start to this season as well. So, yeah, I think both teams settle on that point and be very happy with it. Indeed, indeed. We've still got three games to go. Uh, Two... 2-1 2-1 away wins to cover before we wrap up with the other draw from the match day. Uh, we've met, already mentioned it. The Gumbo Osaka are suddenly red hot. They made it to yet yeah, two wins from two and they moved off the foot of the table and they had to come from behind to do it, Gumba. Uh, Avispa took a 17th minute lead when an unmarked Yuya Yamagishi headed in a Shun Nakamura corner, but uh, Gumba leveled seven minutes later when uh, the very impressive Isam Jabali's cross was parried out by Takumi Nagaishi. Again, uh, another club uh, making a change between the sticks. Uh, we've certainly seen Nagaishi enough over the last couple of seasons, but uh, yes, Masaki Murakami got the shaft again and uh, Naga- Nagaishi was back. Uh, in the net, uh, but anyway, he uh, pushed out Jabali's cross, but uh, it was then volleyed home with interest by Juan Alano, and then uh, just past the half hour, the visitors went in front when a free kick to the back post was headed back across the box by Darwan and volleyed home by Genta Miura, and that was celebrated with uh, gusto by Danny Potatoes and his uh, coaching staff, maybe one they'd worked on on the uh, the training pitch in the week and uh, yeah very well executed it must be said so uh, Gumba turned it around with two goals in eight minutes Sam there were a number of chances in the second half and uh, yeah Yamagishi and uh, Jibali were heavily involved but um, uh, once again uh, Gumba have seen out an odd goal victory and uh, yeah two wins from their last two games and they can begin to properly look up now Yep, definite positives from this game, especially uh, going forward. I think he made a few interesting decisions uh, in terms of selection. Keisuke Kurokawa on the bench, Takashi Osami on the bench. 
and the likes of Shu Karata starting again, Yuki Yamamoto starting again, and it just it just seemed to work. I mean, more workmanlike in midfield, a little bit more defensive solidity. They can't be cut open as easily as maybe they have been with Usami. I thought Jabali's link-up play with both Karata and Alana was very good. I don't think he's ever going to be necessarily an out-and-out going to score lots of goals this season, but he absolutely is uh, vital to the way they play up front. So this hold-up is very good. Yeah, movement is nice. Link-up play very good. So, yeah, that was all very good to see. And there's still a massive amount of work to do at the back. I lost count of the amount of times I would just say free header for someone for a Vispa from a set-piece because every time there was someone left open, not only the Yamagishi goal, but throughout the... Uh, the rest of the game, nobody was picked up. So it's not open waters, it's not clear sailing for uh, Gamba at the moment, but uh, very much a step in the right direction. This was uh, another decent enough performance to come off the back of the away win uh, last week against uh, Alberex. So hopefully they'll look to take that on into home fixtures as well, because maybe the pressure is a little more on at home and expectant crowd. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting game against uh, FC Tokyo at the weekend. Oh yeah, terrific stuff. That's all we need. An opponent rounding into form just before we, just before we head down there. Maybe I've got to cross my fingers and hope there's another typhoon and it gets postponed. I don't know. But um, yeah, no fair dues. And sorry, of course they, uh, yeah they they didn't win by the the odd goal uh, last week against uh, Nagoya uh, Nigata. Sorry, they yeah they won by. Two clear goals, so uh, didn't want to shortchange them there at the end of the day. But, um, yeah, if this is the start of a revival, then, um, well, yeah, good luck to uh, to FC Tokyo uh, this coming weekend. But, uh, yeah, well, the gauntlet was thrown down to Gumba, and, um, yes, they have answered the bell, and they've won uh, their last two. So fair play. And, uh, yeah, Jabali... Um, it does look terrific, and uh, yeah, I, I know uh, that Gumba supporters are very impressed with him, uh, not just in the last couple of games, but uh, yeah, maybe when things weren't going uh, so well for them in the previous few games, they uh, they were still, uh, they knew they could count on him, <clears throat> and that his influence was growing in the team, so uh, yep. Well done to Gamba. Fukuoka, uh, a little bit disappointing again, but um, yet they're still uh, well and truly comfortable in in mid-table, and um, yeah, they'll hope to finish the uh, the first half of the season uh, in style on uh, yeah on the weekend. All right then. So also winning two one away from home were Sagan Tosu. They visited at Yokohama FC. On Saturday, uh, for Yokohama FC, the uh, the head coach, John Hutchinson, was in charge after the uh, club announced that manager Shuhei Yomoda had tested positive for corona on Thursday. Uh, so Yokohama FC were without their coach, uh, their manager, sorry, and also without their main striker, Koki Ogawa. So, uh, yeah, obviously a huge hole for them to fill uh, up front and um, yes, for unfortunately for Yokohama FC, it wasn't their day. A, a brace from Yoichi Naganuma, uh, somewhat opportunistic, but yeah, two very well taken goals. Uh, first, he got in between two defenders to head home across in from the left, 10 minutes into the second half, and then he tapped in from a yard out after uh, Atsushi Kawata squared across the box uh, with uh, just over 15 minutes to go. But uh, it appeared that Tosu wanted to make 
a game of it. A, a dreadful error from a Tosu defender uh, five minutes after uh, Tosu had made it 2-0, and suddenly it was game on again. It was a totally unnecessary backheel to, uh, to no one in particular. 20 yards from goal out on the left, presented the ball to Keijiro Ogawa, whose uh, ball into Marcelo Rian was uh, swept home first time across Park Ilgyu. But, uh, yeah, for the home fans, that was about as good as it got. And uh, Naganuma's brace was the difference between the sides, Sam. Yeah, disappointing that they weren't able to really mount something for the final 10, 15 minutes to put foot back into the game. Obviously, it ridiculously presented to them in the manner it was. But, yeah, they just didn't quite have enough about them, I don't think, going forward. Uh, yeah, they had a few players missing, as you mentioned, Ogawa. I don't know if it's all COVID-related or whatnot, but... Yeah, plenty missing. They st- they dropped Hasegawa to the bench again, which I don't understand why they do that. They looked a lot better. And Yamashita as well. The last time they played really well without Ogawa, with, with Yamashita and Hasegawa either side. And both were dropped for this game. I don't necessarily understand that uh, reasoning. And they didn't really threaten Tosu all too often. Tosu, again, not great themselves going forward. This was one of the worst games of the weekend. Obviously, it was a very good weekend, but yeah, this one, if you're going back to watch all the games, maybe skip this one, I would say. But yeah, Tosu eventually got going. Naganuma is uh, getting into really good fantasy form. I know he's scoring a fair few goals recently, or being involved in goals, and he took his chance as well. And uh, yeah, Tosu just about edged it, but again, it was not the greatest uh, uh, game of football. No, fair enough, but it's uh, seen uh, Tosu edge back into the top half of the table. They're now ninth uh, after they played 16 games. They uh, edged above uh, both Fukuoka and uh, indeed Kawasaki, who didn't play over the weekend. But uh, yeah, so there's uh, just one more game to go, and it uh, took place on Saturday at the Lemon Gas Stadium in Hiratsuka. Uh, Shonan hosted Niigata, and uh, the referee, Yoshimi Yamashita, was uh, busy after just 51 seconds. She pointed to the spot after a uh, cross hit the arm of uh, Niigata defender Kazuhiko Chiba with uh, Shuto Machino firing over the dive of Ryosuke Kojima to make it 1-0 to the home side. But uh, then uh, uh, Niigata turned the game on its head with a, a brace from Kaito Taniguchi. His first goal came on the half hour, and then the, his uh, second came uh, just after the uh, after the hour was played. And both were set up by the departing Ryotaro Ito, Sam. Uh, we don't know whether there will be a final uh, curtain call for Ito this coming weekend, but um, yeah, this this might turn out to be his uh, final appearance in the league for Niigata, and he went out in some style with a pair of assists. The first ball, a lovely threaded ball through to Taniguchi, who had uh, time to turn in the box and then uh, take a touch before firing past Song Bung Kyun. And then the second, as I said, just after the hour, was uh, Ito curling in a corner and uh, Taniguchi making a smart run back to the ball before volleying in from six yards. So I'm sure the Niigata supporters will get to say goodbye to Ito on Sunday when Niigata hosts Kyoto. Um, but uh, yeah, if this uh, sent true, then deal is already announced. I guess it's unlikely he'll be able to play uh, one more time for uh, for Albert X on Sunday. Well, I very much hope he does. I know the European season's not, it's for ages away. What's the harm? Well, yeah, it might get injured, but it'd be fine. Just <laughs> let him have one more swan <laughs> yeah. song. 
in front of the supporters. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real shame that we've only managed to have three and a half months of enjoying Riotarito before he's departing us, and we've only got a couple more episodes to wax lyrical about him, but it was another really good performance, especially that first assist for Taniguchi. Wonderful passing through and good finishing eventually from Taniguchi, but yeah, it's it's hard to see how many got to cope without uh, Riotarito. I know that last season he wasn't necessarily a first-choice starter for maybe the first half of the year, but obviously he's helped power them to promotion. He's been without question their best player uh, for the first half of this season. And uh, they are still struggling uh, to get results despite that. So, yeah, they've got to be looking at themselves and thinking, uh, yeah, we could be in a re- real bit of trouble here in the relegation battle without him. I think it's personally for him, I think it's a good move. Uh, lots of Japanese players have recently moved to Belgium. Most recently, you'd say, would be uh, Ayasueda, who's, after maybe a slow start, has come in and scored so many goals for the circle of Brew. So I think as a first stopping point in Europe, I think Belgium is perfect for him. I think, obviously, St. Trudens are basically a Japanese team just playing in Belgium. So it'll fit in really well. And hopefully, yeah, he hits the ground running there. But it's a massive loss uh, for Niigata and a big loss for the J-League. Absolutely. So, uh, yes, Niigata have had to wave goodbye to, obviously, Sean Honma, who we never really got to see in in J1. And as you say, we've only had Ito uh, flash ever so brightly for uh, for two or three months before he's going to be on his way. So I guess Shunsuke Mito is uh, going to be the next uh, big ticket, uh, the big ticket item at the Big Swan. Or could it be Yota Komi, Sam? Because... Um, this uh, this little whippersnapper, he is full of intent. He hasn't been able to get his uh, first J1 goal under his belt yet, but um, I'll tell you what, he's rapid. He's got a, a, a ferocious shot on him and looks very, very hungry to succeed. So um, I think, yeah, Mito might be the, the flashier of the two. Well, I don't think there's much doubt about that. More along sort of similar lines to Ito, but I wonder if Komi cracks it when he might end up having a, a, a bigger impact. I don't know whether that's a controversial opinion or not, but um, yeah, how how highly do you write, uh, rate both Mito and Komi from what you've seen uh, from them so far? Well, I've loved Mito from the first day I saw him, so I, have to, I still put him... I think he's a little bit more refined than Komi. They're both yeah. only 20, which is uh, pretty wild to see. <laughs> They've got two players that good at the age of 20, so I think Mito might move... I'd move him centrally into Ito's place, and then hopefully Alta's back, and you play him one side, Komi the other. But yeah, Komi's got all the raw ability and raw talent there. I think just needs a little bit of coaching, a bit more... Uh, a prolonged period of game time, which I think he will get now, and just to really settle himself in. He maybe rushes the things a little bit too much, but yeah, there's absolute quality there, and that's the one hope that Niigata have. They are able to blood youngsters. They are able to have that conveyor belt of players coming through, so hopefully Komi can help with Mito and Otto and the others just to fill that gap that Ito is absolutely going to uh, leave they'll hope that Yoshiaki Takagi who was so good for them prior to his injury can stay fit he was again out of the squad at the weekend so there are still players there and very good youngsters and they better keep them close actually and <laughs> not, not let any European clubs know that they've got such talent still in the squad. Well, yeah, I certainly hope that uh, Albert Pucci's got uh, Yota Komi's uh, phone number in his uh, in his uh, in his iPhone, and that uh, yeah, he might he might be giving him a call 
uh, the next off season, maybe if he fancies the bright lights of the big city, because um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave Mito to the, uh, the Niigata faithful. They can have him, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing Komi uh, darting up and down the wing in a, in a Tokyo shirt next season, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see on, uh, on that department. Um, well, yeah, you might recall this, as we said, it did end a two, two at the lemon gas stadium. We've gotten up to the point where Taniguchi had given Niigata the two, one lead. And indeed Danilo Gomez probably should have put the game to bed with just over 15 minutes to go, but he curled a just wide after a darting run in from the right-hand touchline. Then uh, their keeper, Kojima, made a couple of big saves to deny Akito Suzuki and Hiroyuki Abe an equaliser. But uh, Kosuke Onose eventually got it for Shonan in the 83rd minute. Uh, The goal was initially disallowed for offside, but given after a VAR check, I guess along similar lines to the uh, the Sapporo winner at uh, Hitachidai on Saturday night. Uh, indeed, Niigata almost nicked it with a pair of Naoto Arai headers four minutes into stoppage time uh, from a corner Arai headed against the bar and then his uh, the, the ball went straight back to him off the bar, but he, uh, he headed straight into the arms of a song and that was pretty much that okay so we mentioned the struggles of uh, Kyoto just a few minutes ago Sam what about Shonan uh, who again looks set to potentially lose their main man as well as the rumors strongly linking Shuto Machino with a move to Europe Shonan are winless in nine and uh, level on uh, points at the bottom with Kashiwa and Yokohama FC so well yeah I mean he would be a, a, a devastating loss for Shonan. Uh, there's no question about that. And, uh, well, overall, even Machino still there, their results uh, have been uh, tremendously poor. So, uh, yeah, uh, along similar lines to Kyoto, I suppose, they, they just need something to go right for them. And, um, again, they'd love a win uh, this coming weekend to go into the into the international break with a little bit of positivity. Yeah, they really do need that positivity and away at Kashima is not necessarily the greatest victory they can have on mm. the horizon. And yet to, if they're going to lose that, they could potentially be bottom at the halfway point and then to lose Machino, who is completely irreplaceable for them. I think he's so far and away above the rest of the squad, especially the attacking players in that team. I think it's so difficult to see where they replace the goals with. Yes, Yuki Ohashi scored a hat-trick at the start of the season and then has been injured, and maybe he can chip in for a couple. But, yeah, without that, Suzuki's very young. Wakatsuki's quite young as well. It's just... Uh, I'd be quite worried if I was a Shonan supporter. Yes, there's still other teams around them, other teams losing players like Ito at Niigata, but... Yeah, it's kind of worst case scenario for Shonan. Maybe they've been preparing for it. Maybe they had it in mind that Machino would probably leave in the summer and there is some contingency plan. But on the face of it, it looks quite worrying for them. Yeah, because defensively, they've been quite poor this year. That considering previously, you'd never normally expect Shonan to concede too many goals. They were usually quite stout in their defending. It's not been the case this year. They have managed to score goals, but once you take the main source out, then yeah, very much cause for concern for Shonan. So yeah, getting to the halfway stage of the season, I'd be quite worried about if I was a Shonan supporter. The only um, bright light is that there's only one relegation zone, but a lot of those teams down there are losing key players and it makes for an interesting battle for the neutral at least. Indeed, and uh, yeah, makes the yeah the moves that they make in the in the summer transfer window obviously even more important. As as you said, yeah, Machino is irreplaceable, but 
um, yeah, you would imagine that uh, Satoshi Yamaguchi is going to have to do something in the market, and uh, that will be fascinating to watch. All right, then. So that's uh, our wrap, then, of all eight games played uh, over the weekend in uh, J1 Match Day 16. Uh, so, yes, we will round out the first half of the season this coming weekend before the international break uh, gives us uh, two weeks off to uh, to get our team of the half season episode recorded and posted for you listeners, which is uh, one we always look forward to uh, putting together. And we certainly hope you enjoy listening to as well. Definitely some tough decisions uh, coming down the pike for uh, Sam, Johnny and myself. So uh, this weekend we have uh, three games on Saturday uh, and then, uh, yes, six on Sunday, uh, as far as I can tell, Sam, there isn't a typhoon in the forecast, so we would be expecting all nine games to go ahead. And uh, with uh, that said, what is Sam's pick of the weekend? Sam's pick of the weekend. Yeah, difficult one this week, but I'm going to go with Frontale against San Francisco Hiroshima. I think that's a really interesting game. Obviously, Frontale still stuck in mid-table. They've had this break. Maybe they can get Damian a little bit more fit. Maybe they can get other players. Jesse L was back in the country, so you never know. He might be fit. So it's a really interesting battle against Hiroshima, who have, yeah, they've struggled a little bit now, obviously, to score goals. They've got injuries in their squad. And, yeah, this is a real... If Kawasaki are to get back into it at the the top of the table towards an ACL spot, this is a sort of home game they need to try and uh, win. And likewise for Hiroshima, if they can put a statement victory away at uh, Kawasaki, that gives them a boost going into this break. So, yeah, two very interesting teams at the moment. And I think this would be, yeah, on paper, probably the best one. But, yeah, anything that catches your eye? Well, yeah, I mean, earlier on in the season, we one of us was just picking Niigata on a weekly basis, right, because they were so entertaining. And I think we could uh, turn around and do the same thing now for Sapporo. Um, oh, yes. But I'll uh, I'll avoid, I guess, the uh, the the obvious fruit, and I'll uh, I'll go for the the Kansai Derby at the Yodoko Stadium on uh, Saturday night. Cerezo host Kobe. Um, obviously, the leaders coming. Uh, well, not quite refreshed because they will have uh, travelled to <laughs> to Tokyo and played a friendly against Barcelona on a Tuesday night. But um, that, yes, Kansai Derby is always a fiercely uh, contested. The form book goes out the window, etc., etc. And uh, Cerezo looking to bounce back after uh, yeah they were put to sleep in the first half by uh, Nagoya uh, over this past weekend. So it should be a fascinating one. And then yes, yeah, Sam's. Um, Sam's pick wraps up the match day on Sunday night at Todoroki. So, um, yeah, we've got you covered again over both days uh, uh, of the match day, listeners. And, uh, yeah, plenty to look forward to as we wrap up the first half of the season. And, uh, yeah, as we wrap up this episode, Sam, it was a tremendous to catch up with you again. And uh, wonderful to have Sean on again. Again, we do wish Stuart all the best and hope he's feeling better soon. But, uh uh, I guess, yeah, it worked out perfectly with uh, being able to speak to Sean about not only F. Marinos and their victory on Saturday, but also the, uh, yeah, the Ange Postacoglu leaving Celtic stuff. Uh, terrific episode. And, uh, yeah, look forward to rounding out the first half of the season with you next week. Yeah, uh, all the best to Stuart. Hopefully we get to speak to him in the coming weeks or months and, uh, yeah, get his thoughts on uh, F. Marinos. But, yeah, always good to speak to you and looking forward to wrapping up the first half of the season uh, next week.
All right, then. So we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the J Talk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank Sean Galbraith again for his time in part two. We'd like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And once again, Harry, we're wrapped that you got your shirt back, mate. And uh, listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to round up J1 Match Day 17. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.